Welcome to The Odds Pod. I'm Dave Hendrick. And I'm Ben Hennessy. And we're the team behind the Scout Comics titled The Odds, a comic book about the end of civilization in a post-tech world. With a soup song of cannibalism and a sprinkling of hope. Check it out wherever you get your comic books. And if you don't know where that is, check out the comic book store locator or just do a search for The Odds Comic Book and you'll find it. So why are you hearing from us? Well, we thought seeing as we shared our favourite apocalypse story with you that maybe you'd like to hear from other folks as to what their favourite apocalypse is. It could be the destruction of Alderaan by the evil empire or the untimely cancellation of a favourite TV show or anything in between. Whatever it is, we want to know which extinction events rock your world, which end of days makes your day, which Armageddon gets you and which great flood makes you gush. Today's guests, yes... That's right, we said guests. They are brothers, publishers, authors, adventurers, entrepreneurs, shaker-upperers, and at least one of them is a multiple bone-breaker-er. In just six years, they've created a global brand with Vault Comics, publishing hit after hit from Money Shot to Barbaric, These Savage Shores to Quest to Side. Vaults become shorthand for quality horror, fantasy, and sci-fi comic books. They're the greatest thing to come out of the state of Montana since Yellowstone National Park and Evil Knievel, maybe even bears. They are, of course, Damien and Adrian Wussel. Welcome to Hey, guys. Hey, thanks for having us. And uh, thanks for what I imagine will be the best intro I get in the rest of my natural life. So. <laughs> yeah, I got to say, absolutely. And I'm the I'm the bone breaker for anyone who, <laughs> who, who doesn't know who's going to watch Any bones broken today? <clears throat> Not today. Oh, Not today. Day. We do, we do enjoy, anyway. we do enjoy following your adventures, Adrian. You know, there was the one whale incident. You know, then the shoulder. <laughs> then you're like, it's just God help you. You know. Then he recently, was under a bit I of a tear. he was on a bit of a tear for a while there. <laughs> I did get my big toenail surgically removed just a couple of weeks ago, so that one was fun. Did it surprise um, you by growing back in a weird way or something like? Like, I just you know, I doesn't I anymore. It, no, it's it's it, I it wasn't like a an ingrown one, it, which is disgusting. We don't need to get into it too much, but basically, it just like had blood underneath of it from backpacking a bunch, and then uh, had to get it removed. And they didn't give me quite enough um, anesthetic. Oh no, locally. And so uh, about partway through, I was like, this really, really hurts. And she's like, it shouldn't hurt at all. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> it's like water is just leaking out of my eyes. Like it's not even tears. It's just like a spray. <laughs> so <laughs> she was like, oh no. And like started hitting me with more of it, stuck the needle, like clean through the side of my toe and shot it standing across the room. I was like, we're off to a great start. <laughs> nice. nice. Did you get like yeah. the, the, the medical, like, bottle of vodka or something for you to just to start drinking like pound this straight away <laughs> that would have been better there was no medical <laughs> vodka <laughs> i on this you know you'll be grand yeah oh man that's that's giving me that horrible feeling in my legs you know that's kind of yeah anyway. <laughs> um yeah well i hope things are, are getting better and you know the socks are speaking to you so you know uh, <laughs> that should be that should be good so guys um we touched on there in the intro obviously vault comics phenomenal success in the in the last six years you know um and you know speaking as somebody who's been in and around comics and publishing and retailing and creation and all that stuff um i have to ask the question why publishing i mean you've done you've done a great job you, you know nobody can deny that but you know there is that that joke you know if you want to make a million dollars in publishing be prepared to lose two million dollars you know so it, it's it's a tough business but you seem to have you seem to have cracked it 
But I don't know if you want to if you want to give us a bit of backstory on on the company itself and 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 where your inspiration came from for it. So I think probably keep this part fairly brief because folks have heard us go through this uh, story maybe more times than anyone would would care to hear again. Uh, for me, rather than giving you backstory in the company, I think I'll answer the white publishing question, which is like there's nothing in the whole world that means more to me than books. Uh, I mean, I, like I, I before we got into Vault, I was a university academic. I did research and sort of philosophy at the edge of mathematical economics, and that was fun, sort of. But I got to this point where I was like, desperate to make things that people would connect with and care about again. Uh, and it was from that place, this sense that, you know, we're really entering a period of personal and human history where feeling decreasingly connected that made me really want to get into the storytelling game. Uh, probably there were some ill-considered choices made along the way that we've made the best of. <laughs> but at, at the end of the day, you know, publishing publishing books is a pretty incredible thing to get to do as a vocation. You know, it's mm -hmm. one of those moments where um, doing something that, that feels good is also professionally possible. So a yeah. reason for us to turn away from that when we had the chance. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. So philosophically driven? <laughs> something like that. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. The best, the best reasons, I think. Um, yeah, there's a big change there from one to, to printing comics. That's that's pretty interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, I like to say that what I used to do was, you know, think really carefully about hard problems. And it turns out that uh, there are an enormous amount of hard problems in publishing. So. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> I mean, yeah, keeps you busy. Yeah, off the streets. That kind of thing. Um, that's that's fantastic. Yeah. So, um, in the in the past six years, you, you know, I've seen through. You know, I, I keep an eye on the market. Keep an eye on on the uh, you know the the, the retailers. Uh, full disclosure: my bro is John Hendrick. He runs Big Bang Comics in in Dublin here. So you guys, you guys are probably aware of him. You know, and we've seen yeah, you know, we've seen Vault Vault climb. Um, he's certainly seen Vault climb, you know, in 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 the store in the last last few years as well, you know. So, was there ever kind of an inflection point for Vault where you were like, "Now we have it," you know? If, is it a title? Was it a year? Was it you know just when things really came together? There've been numerous inflection points, Damien. I was just going to say, I feel like we've had an inflection point, you know, like one per year every year that we've been around. That's great. That's a great turnaround, really. Yeah, I would agree. Sometimes more than one a year, actually. And I think that's part of having um, a focus on multiple genres. We've had inflection points even within specific genre spaces. Yeah. Um, you know, we launched and I think Heathen was the first and obvious inflection point for the brand. It really concretized the mission. Um, you know, a queer fantasy epic uh, is sort of, you know, it's a bread and butter and then it became a beloved comic and really set the stage. But then we had numerous other inflection points, like in the sci-fi landscape, I see wasted space as mm -hmm. this massive inflection point where we had an audience finally to sustain a comic across 
so many arcs and go 25 issues. And then <clears throat> before we had announced Nightfall, uh, we were exploring kind of the boundaries of what you could call fantasy without it being strictly just horror. And we were doing, you know, Gothic fantasy and we had the Savage Shores, you know, and that book was a big inflection point And also one of the things that made us go now's the time we've been exploring doing our horror seasonal imprint. We just had this massive success everybody loves it. We've got these books that we know we could bring together. That would be truly the true horror. Let's launch nightfall. So then nightfall was another inflection point with the plot money shot was a great inflection point mm -hmm. with like bringing in, uh, not just Tim Seeley, but that entire team and some really big name creators with big audience, kind of the first time we'd done that at vault and doing it with a book that had been turned down by every other publisher in the business. And then having this massive success where Tim Seeley's had this idea forever. And he and I became buds. Uh, we worked on like a video game thing together. And then, you know, next thing I know he's got this pitch in front of me. He's like, look, everybody else will said, no, I doubt doubt you'll say yes but uh you know it's about porn with aliens and i was like oh sign, sign us up like, we're in let's do it and uh so i can kind of track vault through yeah. many inflection points including individual titles and also just how that then helped break um kind of new ground for the catalog as a whole and what we were trying to achieve exploring each of the genres. Um, and then there's other big ones like, you know, Vagrant Queen going on air sure. and um, yeah. So uh, more than one a year, I guess is my answer. I mean, more I... than one. A year. <laughs> Fantastic. I think when you're running a business in general, you spend a lot of time thinking about big inflection points what are the big ones but there is like a little repeated inflection point that i think actually means the most to a business like us and that little repeated inflection point happens every time somebody who's never read one of our books tries one right like that's the inflection point that means the most to me is when someone goes from uh you know completely inexperienced in our catalog to reading something that we've published. And it's all those little inflection points added up that make the big ones happen. Yeah. And it can be really easy to lose sight of those as you're thinking, Oh, I've got to hit this sales target. We've got to achieve this business development objective. But along the way, those are the only ones that, that really matter. And that's what sustains us is the, the aggregate effect of all those little inflection points, people walking past our table at a convention and stopping instead of, rolling along people walking into their local comic shop, be it big bang, you know, or muse here in Missoula and seeing, you know, the first vault book they're going to pick up. And I think for us, as we curate the catalog, as Tim thinks about design, as we work with the writers and the artists that we are working with, our goal is to build everything around creating that moment for a, a new reader. Uh, and creating, you know, that that instant of recognition that there's something there, you know, you want to see more of. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. And that, so that's is that. Would you say that's the mission? Uh, I think the mission for us is to do something maybe 
stupid and audacious, which is prove that this kind of uh, really ambitious genre storytelling can actually work in a commercially viable way. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly looks as though. I mean, I think you guys are nailing it. There's there's so many strong titles, so many unique looking titles as well, but still looks like a vault book, you know? Um, and to have done all that in like only six years is is pretty impressive. Um, and it's great to see that while you have that success, that you're still doing things like, you know, looking for that somebody's first comic, you know? Like I remember hearing uh, Neil Gaiman talk about when Sandman first came out that uh, he was so wrapped up in trying to do the book that no one told him to enjoy it, you know, enjoy this moment that's happening. So it was great to see you guys are, are, are wise enough to take that bit in. Like that's, 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 that's a, a, new, a newly moment. learned lesson, newly learned oh, lesson. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's uh, I would, <clears throat> it took a, it took a couple of years of running it um, before we started to figure out how important it was to take a step back and enjoy some of the process, especially for me as, as an editor, um, you, you get so wrapped up in each book, uh, and then you move on to the next. And it took me a long time to figure out how to enjoy that process fully and, and, uh, and not just kind of watch my entire face come off on the grindstone, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I think Adrian and I did a reasonable job, like avoiding the, the worst depths of to toxic masculinity. Uh, but toxic industriousness was, uh, something we, we were just all hog on for a long time. Uh, it's, I know I said, yeah. Oh, sorry. I said to my partner, I was like, if I ever end up having, or raising children, I'm going to ask them, like, tell them, like, don't have any ambitions, <laughs> no ambitions, <laughs> find things you like and, and enjoy those things, but don't set any grand ambitions. <laughs> like maybe someday liking a bunch of things will sort of coalesce into an ambition. And that sounds great. But don't start with grand ambition. <laughs> You're just setting yourself up for way too much work. A lot of stress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, you can kind of find yourself like forgetting why you're in it for the fun in the first place, you know. So yeah, I think that's actually pretty important to kind of keep track of, uh, you know, why you want to do this. Uh, and that that actually brings us back to the philosophy behind why we started the business and what Damien said. I had a um, creative writing professor uh, in an, a class for which we did absolutely no writing. It was a storytelling class. It was all oral, oral storytelling. Um, and she had a line, uh, stories will save your life. And that has stuck with me forever. Um, I've repeated it often and quoted mm -hmm. her often. And um, I think the lesson learned came at a point when, you know, there were just a lot of personal moments in my life that were stacking up and a book that I was working on resonated in a way that was genuinely helpful for me as a person. And it was one of those moments where it wasn't just reading a book, but knowing that a book that I was helping bring to the world saved my life. And it doesn't have to be big, when you say a story will save your life, it can be tiny. It can be tiny, tiny little moments um, 
it can change so much about who you are, teach you different levels of compassion and ways of, of, uh, approaching who yourself and problems. And, uh, yeah, I just always return to that line. The stories will save your life. So I think I learned that lesson when one of our books, you know, (laughs) saved my life and I was like, Oh yeah, there we go. This is, uh, this is why we do it. That's cool. That's, that's really nice. It's nice. It's nice. I would, I would add to that, that, you know, as a, as a chap of a certain age over here, um, dealing with the stresses of daily life and all the rest of it, I find these days that just sitting down and reading is just better for my pulse, my heart rate, my (laughs) blood oxygen. Like it just, it just gives you, you know, an hour or two of just, you know, focused relaxation, if that's such a thing, you know, and you just kind of, kind of, de-stress you know through a story you know which is it's just the best way to do it you know um i find uh yeah i even yesterday you know um busy day yesterday and i got uh jeff lemire's kickstarter the one he did with matt kent the cosmic detective that landed on the doorstep yesterday you know and i just took time out of my day just to sit down it's big album sized kind of kind of books sit down with that and um as crazy as yesterday was i was i was fine then i was you know straight back into into work after that you know it was um yeah it was useful really useful so yeah read stories everybody soul food yeah it's important yeah man. Absolutely. so speaking of saving lives yeah. we're at the we're at the other extreme now so um <laughs> you know guys we you know you're here for a reason you know we we, we asked you on board uh the odds pod to uh to to find this out so um adrian what's your 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 favorite apocalypse so it's difficult for me to answer uh, my single favorite apocalypse as an editor of many apocalyptic stories, including this one right here, <laughs> Hard Eyes, that just came out. It was excellent, um, by the way. Yep. Statterable. <laughs> Thank you. No more. For the excellent, not for the terrible. Um, it's it's fantastic. Um, that's uh, Dennis uh, Hopeless and Victor Ibanez um, and Addison Duke on Colors. Uh it's uh, and Simon Boland on letters. Um, that's one of my favorites. Uh, I've got a host of others, uh, as you can imagine. Um, Hard Eyes uh, is a really, it's top of mind because it's the most recent apocalyptic book we've put out. It's a really interesting blend of Lovecraftian horror and sort of coming of age romance and also a really really smart critique of voyeurism and sort of the way we live through screens and watching each other now uh i won't give too much away but you will meet a character in subsequent issues who has been watching lupe the young woman who is clearly tied to the monsters that have ended the world. So he knows things about Lupe that no one else does. Um, And they are fantastic monsters. They are. I mean, Victor draws the best monsters, (laughs) (laughs) giant tentacled swirling beasts that come out of another port, another plane through a portal and just devour our, fear and that's the that's such a great part of the story is that the the monsters eat our fear um and obviously you know 
Hard Eyes was born of the moment of the pandemic. And it was something that Victor and Dennis wanted to um, work on together because of the moment we're all living through. It's hard not to talk about it like it's my favorite right now because it's the one that I'm pouring so much into. But I mean, we have books like Radio Apocalypse and Resonant resonance one that i think was it's it's almost hard to imagine resonant coming out before the pandemic when you hear the pitch now everybody thinks it must be a book that was written after the pandemic mm -hmm. but it started before and it's a book about you know these uh these waves that unleash our deepest darkest um desires and intentions and turn you momentarily into the worst version of yourself um, which thematically, yeah, yeah. <laughs> thematically, I guess DB just had his finger, he just had his fingers on the pulse. He knew yeah. the world was over. Um, and he was going to write our, you know, guide through it, I guess. Um, and then we've, you know, got books like the last book you'll ever read, which is about the power of literature to end and start whole new worlds. Um, so I could just wax poetic about all of my favorite apocalyptic stories that we have told at um at vault and but i think that my maybe flipping the question a little bit my favorite and my least favorite end of the world my least favorite apocalypse and my favorite at the same time is the the end of a comic series and this is something that i've experienced so many times now as an editor for a long time as the only editor at vault and anybody who's been a reader or a creator understands what it's like to live with characters in your head and heart for so long that they become real. They become your friends mm -hmm. and they become your enemies. <laughs> uh, you, you struggle with them and you imagine conversations with mm -hmm. them you end a series and you think I do I get to keep talking to them now you know do they still do they do they persist past the end and I think as a reader you do and that's part of the power of fiction I know when I read bone as a as a kid uh, there, there we go yep. when I read bone as a kid right behind me um uh that was maybe the hardest I'd ever been gut punched by a book ending. That was an end of the world for me. That book ended and I couldn't imagine living without another page to read of that. I had to turn right back to the start and reread it again, just so I didn't like cry when I cried anyway. <laughs> um, but um, it's a bit different when you're working on a book. And I think it's even stranger when you're editing because they these are not your creations yeah it's your job instead to help make sure these creations get to the world and get to the world in their best and realest way mm -hmm. and so as an editor when you pour yourself into another person's world and you occupy the space partway between reader and creator you're doing your best work when you like eviscerate the real world around you, you destroy it, you end it and you plug yourself into that. And I do that. And then series end and it's heartbreaking sometimes to yeah. think about not speaking kind of to Billy and dust from wasted space yeah. ever again in that space. Um, 
and I, the, when it becomes my favorite end of the world is when I know that somebody else is going to go pick it up and those characters are going to live with them now and they will continue those conversations. And I think in this very, very strange way, literature is almost like, um, it's like multidimensional. It's almost like a time travel, right? I don't want to sound too crazy, but it's, it's basically like this really weird way in which we can all share a space and a time, uh, even when we're spread out geographically and temporally where we will read a thing and exist in a moment next to sort of the ghost of all these other people that have read it. And, um, so yeah, the end of the world that, uh, my favorite end of the world is, is, a is the end of a great comic book series as much as it also breaks my heart. Um, because I know that somebody else will have those conversations with those characters and live with them and interact with them at some point. Maybe so that kind of conversation answer. afterwards is important for that kind of like closure, isn't it? Like it is. Like the it really is. I forget the actor's name now. I should be shocked forgetting his name, but who was the guy who played Opie in Sons of Anarchy. And I believe his character oh. was killed off before he was aware that was going to happen. Spoilers, everybody. Sorry, it came out years ago. <laughs> and, um, I think you're safe. <laughs> he, he wrote like a, a kind of a eulogy for that character. And then he followed that like with a process for saying goodbye to a character you've been a part of for a while. And I've never thought about that in, in, uh, outside of people who, were, who were, weren't acting with those characters before. But yeah, um, I, I totally I see exactly where you're coming from. It's a, it's a, it's a big goodbye um, to someone who, you know, weirdly didn't really exist but you know, it was a big part of your life for a period of time. Yeah. I mean, I went through that with, you know, when I was a kid with like preacher, you know, and <clears throat> got through, you know, all those issues. And I, I remember, you know, the, the last, the last issue, you know, wrapping that up and just sitting there with us and then going, what the, f- what the hell am I going to do now? You know, and, <laughs> and, literally running up the street to my friend's house and handing them to him and say, you have to read all of these and then we can talk, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. And, you know, in fairness, he did. It took a while, but he did. But, you know, yeah, you just have that thing and you, you have to, you know, you have to have that that conversation. But yeah, the world has ended, you know, and you don't want it to. So so the, the, the conversation will, will, will take it further. I love that idea yeah. that, you know, you're connected to everybody who's ever read it, you know? Um that you're sharing that that experience, sharing that world with them, you know, whether it's generationally or 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 you know through distance, whatever. But I mean, that that's fantastic. Like, yeah, that's a great take. Yeah, and it's a weird one because it's not like a cinema room where you're sharing an experience with lots of people at the same time. It's something shared so differently, different stages of life, um, but obviously shared with a lot of people as well. That's that's that's, that's a really great take from that. It uh, it feels especially weird when you read something you love again and you feel that kind of ghost of yourself the first time reading through it and you suddenly remember where you sat when you read that Mm. passage the things you were concerned about in the day the people you cared about most and how much those have shifted and however long it's been between the first time you read it and the time you're reading it now we're we're all Um, gonna be tears by the end of this (laughs) (laughs) and uh and that's what I meant about that sort of time travel. It's yeah. like uh, suddenly you have access to the luggage you used to carry around that was the old you, and you've replaced all the shirts and you know your pants inside that luggage. 
now, but suddenly you remember everything you had then and who you were. And, um, yeah, I think that that ultimately is, uh, the thing that draws me to stories most and is most sort of intoxicating about being an editor is that it's this bizarrely singular role where you're sandwiched between reader and creator or creators. Um, and it's like a drug. Once you live in that space, you almost can't imagine living without it. Um, so there, there's my answer. Right now, I want to hear great from answer, Damien. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, no pressure, Damien. But Frank, I was looking forward to hearing what, what you have to say here because, um, like we we haven't got the same answer from anybody yet. Everyone's had a very different idea of, of what their own apocalypse is. So, I mean, uh, uh, no one has done anything in which uh, we have uh, expected an answer yet like no one's talked about zombies or anything yet it's all okay. these things are very if, different you know? if you do it now Damien it's going to be a huge disappointment so we're just we're just warning <laughs> <laughs> I'm not known for disappointing performances so. <laughs> <laughs> nice uh, I it's I mean it's no wonder to me that as you know, like flesh and blood creatures living in a universe where entropy increases and one day we die we're really fascinated with finitude with the ends of things um you know i remember when i was maybe six years old first death i really like paid attention to i, I think it would have been like younger maybe four my grandmother's brother stephen who actually lived in ireland he lived in dublin he was an antique dealer who lived over there uh he died and i was talking to her about it she was pretty sad they were very close and I remember realizing, you know, now realizing in that moment that maybe I was a little bit peculiar because I said, does this mean everyone will die? And mm. she said, yes. And I felt just this incredible swell of relief, uh, you know, okay. that, that this, this meant that, you know, nothing would be forever. And that was great that, that nothing would be forever in my mind, like really, truly wonderful, but nothing would have to go on indefinitely. Uh, when I taught at the university of Michigan, I taught a class on happiness and well-being and what it means to live a good life. And one of the things we talked about in there was the, the, the topic of death and, you know, whether we ought to be afraid of it, what it, what it means to die. And I realized while teaching that, that one of the hardest points to, to teach on that topic was that, you know, the opposite of dying isn't living a really long time. It's living forever, right? And that's like a concept it's almost impossible to get our heads around, this notion that we would continue indefinitely. Um, but it's that idea of continuance that I actually want to sort of gravitate toward as I think about my favorite apocalypse and I will get to a very definite answer to that question but along the way I just want to explore the fact that as I already mentioned we live in an entropic system where entropy is always increasing we are mortal creatures and a lot of the stuff we have in our lives breaks right or runs out there is a last bite of sandwich when you have a really good sandwich, right? There is a last page of a comic. Uh, there's the day the strap on your favorite sandal finally gives way, right? Uh, 
there's the somewhere in the world, the last bottle of Chateau Lafitte, you know, 1982, and one day someone will drink it. And that will be the end of that very rarefied experience in perpetuity. You know, uh, and I think about this in the context, which I encourage everybody who listens to this to, to read of the, you know, the Ted Kuzer poem, Gyroscope, in which he, you know, which talks about this girl holding a, a bit of, you know, the, the toy that everyone makes with like a button and strings when they're a child, this thing spinning in her hands, you know, and sort of envisioning her as mastering this tiny world in her hands and all those tiny worlds we hold, like they come, they come to end at one point or another. So, you know, we're just inundated uh, on a daily basis with tiny little apocalypses. They're, they're so incredibly ubiquitous. But the thing that I, I think is so easy to lose sight of in all of that is like the wonder of continuance. Some of the things we experience, they do get to go on. You finish a book, but, you know, provided you wake up, you get to read another one. Uh, you finish editing a comic, but uh, there's the great fortune that often you get to edit another one. And so my favorite apocalypse uh, is the one I experience every night when I go to sleep, like the ending of the world that was that day, like the ending of the life that led up to that moment. And then with luck, you know, I wake up again and there's a new continuance. And so I, I think for me at the heart of the fascination with, uh, you know, finitude, the fascination of apocalyptic storytelling, we often see, and we see this in like the great works of, you know, science fiction and fantasy literature that explore these themes, whether it's Canical for Leibowitz or, uh, you know, the Book of the New Sun by Gene Wolfe, this notion of what continuance means when everything that we thought we knew or understood has come quite cataclysmically to an end. And that's a moment we're all living in, like cross-culturally, globally right now. Um, so many things that we took for granted, the notion that we could, for example, indefinitely be safe from uh, diseases of global significance, that we could see, you know, uh, to paraphrase Martin Luther King, paraphrasing a Protestant minister from a century before him, that we could see the arc of the moral universe bend toward justice. And so many of these things, we're, we're watching them slip through our fingers and figuring out what continuance looks like as we navigate one little apocalypse after another. Uh, and for me, that theme, that theme of continuance in the wake of serial destruction um, is the central and most important narrative theme that we're seeing in the, the literature. Uh, broad, I use that term very broadly construed, you know, the, the narrative storytelling that we see emerging from this period mm -hmm. and i'm looking forward to some of the other kinds of art we get to see emerge from this moment because it always takes a little while for them to surface mm -hmm. what what the lens of uh you know the great painters of this period will look like once we know who they are 15 years from now uh what the you know orchestral works that are being written right now are going to sound like the first time they get performed by a major symphony orchestra six or seven years from now uh, because that theme as i mentioned is so ubiquitous so impossible to ignore that it is shaping 
you know, everything we do day to day. And it's a pretty profound theme, right? As, yeah. as you know, finite, physically embodied creatures, you know, this exploration of continuance is uh, the thing that's always spoken to me the most in the scientific quest and the literary quest, etc. And there are a few specific things as we navigate the apocalypses of the moment that I hope to see continued or maybe revigorated. Um, some of them are, you know, like moral projects that I, I hope human beings do a good job of carrying forward. And some of them are, you know, literary genres that I'd love to see revived. And we are seeing revived. And some of them are like big scientific enterprises, like advancing our material science. I'd really be great if we got back on that train because it really did a lot for the world. Um, you know, and that and that's where I sit in the question of most interesting uh, apocalypses is, you know, I think the one for me that, that captivates me the most is, you know, the one I live through every day. Yeah. Phenomenal. That might be the first time we've asked that question come away with a really upbeat, kind of happy feeling afterwards. <laughs> that was great. I um, wasn't expecting that at all. I think we probably should have seen your... Uh, a philosophy um uh, study beforehand but like our student beforehand but wow that was that's fantastic we th- i mean you just came up with that like well more or less well, <laughs> uh, what, what could he what could he do if he had some time to prepare you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, by the way guys there'll be a book list going out with this podcast in the in the uh, episode notes okay we'll make sure everyone everyone uh, well that Kuzer oh. poem will be the one thing that people don't obviously know where to find. And mm-hmm. that is from his Pulitzer Prize winning collection, Delights and Shadows, which if you're a person that doesn't like poetry, I would say, like, if I could give you one book that would make you like it, it would be that. Fantastic. Even better. I have to add yep. two books to Damien's motif of continuance um, against the inevitable many apocalypses. Uh Spin by uh, Robert Charles Wilson. It's actually a trilogy. I think the second and third books are Vortex and what's the last one, Damien? Do you remember? Neb. I'll look. It's another. Anyhow, Robert Charles Wilson trilogy. Mm-hmm. First book is Spin. Uh, it's sort of a singular novel and then kind of a access and and vortex. Access is the intermediate text and and vortex is the final access and the vortex. It speaks directly to Damien's point about continuance and it makes, Mm -hmm. um, an argument about what continuance would look like at, uh, an intellectual and technological level like what would need to happen for a human mind to continue and live forever Interesting. Um, and it takes a long way to get there because the first book is like a uh very beautiful sort of and recreation of <laughs> the great Gatsby stuck inside one of the most sophisticated pieces of sci-fi I've ever uh, read. So it takes a long time to get to this idea of intelligence continuing. Um, But 
The other is uh, Station Eleven, which I know is now the TV show. And unfortunately, I haven't watched the TV show. But when the pandemic started, the first thing I did was sit down to read that book, which was a gift. It was a birthday gift. Um, the pandemic was uh, declared a national emergency on my birthday, on March 13th nice. um, in the U.S. <laughs> yeah, And so my aunt had already sent me this uh book like two months in advance <laughs> as my birthday present and it arrived and i was like well i guess i'll read a book about the end of the world from a viral plague uh during pretty, the end of the world from a viral plague yeah yeah and it also talks about continuance and about the kind of connective tissue that feels invisible sort of all of the strings between everyone and the way stories um or maybe are kind of map to those strings uh anybody who's read it or watched it i'm sure knows what i'm talking about with the whole thing sort of spiraling out of a moment from king lear but um those two books i think have very antithetical uh approaches to um portraying what continuance could look like at a human level uh amid all the many many apocalypses. So both of those books came to mind when Damien was talking about it and for putting together a reading list, I have to throw them down spin nice. and, and, uh, and station 11. Fantastic. I did not that everything needs to be adapted, but if you were like, Hey Damien, here's $250 million to make a TV show. I would make a 10 episode mini series based on spin. Cause wow. they like, yeah. And maybe it would be great, or maybe it would be terrible because I've never made a TV show. <laughs> <laughs> you give it a go. <laughs> yeah, what are we going to do with the 250 million? Hey, you as well do something you've seen it. what he can do without preparing. So yeah, give me yeah, 250 yeah. million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> um, dangerous man with a plan. Yeah. Well, you made me feel <laughs> like, um, like when I was, I remember like there was a moment when I was six and I was playing with my brother. And like, it was like the polar opposite to the experience you had, like, uh, I had this kind of very profound, like enlightened moment I remember I was playing with my brother and I, I think I realized that like, ah, oh, this isn't going to last forever. And I got really upset because I must've been great. Your yeah, brother's pretty great. Right yeah. He's pretty cool. Yeah. He <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't say that to his face though. <laughs> um, I, I remember saying it to him at that moment. I remember putting down the toy and saying, oh, this is won't always be like this. And uh, I freaked him out. <laughs> Obviously, because he's like two years younger, so he's four or something. Oh, Ben's been weird. He went in and told on me, and then my mom told me it's not being silly, you know? But like, I mean, very different. Like the prospect of this stuff coming to an end didn't make me excited about the next one. It made me quite sad. So it's interesting that your take on it can be excited about what's to come. You know, I was too caught up in like the ending or something, you know, and uh, how sad it was to say, goodbye to that for me close to very, what this very well maybe like a like a cultural thing there you know because maybe grow, growing up the way we did ben you know in, <laughs> in morally oppressive catholic ireland which is obsessed with death you know from from, from a very very young age yeah um, you know my you guys might have had a different experience to <laughs> us you know, um uh, in that regard so you know maybe maybe there's there's a there's a cultural a cultural thing there that could be worth worth investigating just expected of us to feel bad about ourselves really wasn't it yeah, I, I, I still do, you know. <laughs> you know, I think 
some of it for me was just sort of anecdotal personal context uh you know as a kid i don't know you couldn't give me anything in the world to go back to being a child like nothing uh i i loathed like the lack of influence over my own circumstances that you have <laughs> as a child uh, and knowing that you know things would move steadily forward was uh you know, even even against the context of also knowing that like most days are going to be harder than the one you had before, even against <laughs> that context, it was, uh, you know, relieving to to think about the fact that things would would roll along. Um, I guess that's you know a peculiarity. As I said, I remember thinking as a kid, like, oh, this is probably a thing that makes you know makes my brain a little different than other brains for better or worse but yeah nice clearly better i mean like is there is there a a little adrian you can answer this was there like a touch of like stewie griffin going on there was there (laughs) a bit of an evil genius as a kid you know just you know Yes, I did voluntarily wear like uh, blazers and bow ties as a child nice nice Nice. Honestly, making ray guns in the back room somewhere. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> really that, that that shit's back though. You know, blazers and bow ties. Look at Chris Pine in Venice this week. You know, he's he's, he's <laughs> over in bubblegum, right? And Damien was already there. You know, he's just <laughs> well, nailed. Apparently, Damien's favorite thing. So I'm the younger brother, but apparently, Damien's favorite thing as a child was to make uh, concoctions like special. Uh, yeah, just chemistry. Ingredients. Yeah. <laughs> and at one point he decided to um he was very young, he decided to microwave one of these concoctions <laughs> he had made of who knows what, like chemical cleaners, and then I think there was tuna fish involved. There may have been. Um, <laughs> and uh it was put in the microwave by a very industrious like four-year-old. <laughs> I killed and, uh, the microwave forever. Blew up yeah. the microwave and sprayed like hot chemical tuna everywhere it actually didn't it didn't blow up it didn't even bubble over it just impregnated the microwave with an ineradicable foul aroma uh, that that would some like you would think you know yeah i don't know this is a four-year-old so but no, ray, no ray guns this is yeah. this is mad like, genius i know this is a grown-up like odors are you know they're volatile particles right like you would think that they would be like exhausted on repeated microwavings but no like it <laughs> killed the microwave any food you put in there thereafter <laughs> ended up tasting like this weird combination of like soap and fish and perfume and whatever else i put in like a non-microwave safe container and microwave with reckless abandon yeah. so yeah i killed the microwave well wow, that's that's pretty cool at least you got one like kind of like you know like a microwave death stamp on your, on your, on your, which uh, have a tear drop under the beer. You yeah. just can't see it. <laughs> it's a little tuna fish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, chemical tuna fish doesn't sound that nice. Mm. It does. No, it that good. was, mm. it that was like young. A chapter, though. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a child. That was young. Yeah. Genius, uh, evil genius Damien. Meanwhile, I was like half naked fighting imaginary creatures with a stick in the woods just like uh, was that was me at that age just I mean, like Adrian, Any, anything guess. was a sword <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it 
it's still me. It's still, <laughs> so like, oh, that guy's got a badass looking axe. Fuck yeah. <laughs> we'll make that book. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> exactly. Right. I can sound sophisticated, but my tastes are very simple. <laughs> yeah. So look, uh, this is probably the most positive episode yeah. we've had to date, you know, which is which is fantastic. And usually we say, oh, you know, we don't want to end mm. on a bummer, but we're not ending on a bummer, you know. But still, we're gonna gonna ask you guys for for a couple of things, and then then we can go. So yeah, let's make this note even happier if we can. Just give us three things you're looking forward to. Just you know, something something to be positive about for the future. It can be. It's up to you guys what it is, but you know, um, Damien, do you want to go first on this one? Sure. Anyone who knows me knows that I plan every minute of my life based on when and what I will eat next. Uh, so know. right now, top of my list of things I'm looking forward to is eating lunch after we wrap up the call. I have nice leftovers from a nice shrimp dinner I made last nice. night. So, yeah. So no, that's, that's, uh, that's oh, no thing number one. For a few minutes. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. Avoid the microwave. <laughs> you know, a lot of, a lot of Windex. I use that as, a, I like that ammonia flavor with my seafood. Uh, very Scandinavian of me. <laughs> Are you like ringing me like while you're like microwaving this? You're just, you're just ready to go. Right? <laughs> you know, yeah. The door is open guys, let yourselves in, you know, I'll be on the floor. <laughs> You're a man looking forward to lunch. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah always. Uh, and as soon as I finish lunch, I'll be looking forward to dinner. And when <laughs> I finish dinner, I'll be looking forward to breakfast. Um, and then I think thing number two, I just got a big stack of new books that includes, among others, uh, Stephen King's latest you know, foray nice. into fantasy literature fairy tale. So I'm looking forward to giving that a read. And then, you know, in living in Montana... Uh, playing outside in the snow is obviously a thing that you have to enjoy doing in order to get the, the full enjoyment of this place. And as we're, you know, ringed round with hell smoke from forest fire season, I will admit yeah. I'm looking forward to that first snowfall. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. They're all great. Yeah. Wonderful part of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Nice one. So, Adrian, what's. Uh... Uh... What's on the agenda? First, immediately that comes to mind is Halloween. I just love Halloween and I love spooky season and I already kicked it off. I made um, little hand pie, pumpkin pies in the shape of jack-o'-lanterns <laughs> nice. uh, on Monday and my partner made beef stew and we watched pumpkin head and ate nice. our jack-o'-lantern hand pies. Um, so every week uh, we'll be doing a themed like dessert or cocktail plus horror movie, uh, on the way to Halloween. Um, so looking forward to that, just the whole lead up to Halloween. Um, now that I'm on that kick, I'm just going to make everything scary based. So I, uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, clown in a cornfield Two. uh, friendo lives is a, book by adam uh cesari sorry adam if i mispronounced your last name um i loved the first one it's a slasher novel it's like a ya horror it's an absolute mm-hmm. blast and the second book just came out so 
I will be reading that hopefully on a small uh, coastal island off of Maine. Uh, my partner and I are celebrating our 10th anniversary and we rented a little nice, house. Um, it is like creepy little farmhouse uh, on uh, this coastal island um, that has Wi-Fi, so I can still work. Nice. And I'm gonna read a I'm gonna read a horror book while I'm on a uh, main coastal island. It's just gonna all, all the ghosts can tweet you and scare you. Yeah, so that's, <laughs> that's Stephen King country then around there as well. Is that it is? Yeah, nice. It is indeed. Yeah. Um, and then uh, since we're on the theme of scary and no one has plugged fault yet i will uh i will say i'm really looking forward to the nightfall double feature that we have coming out in um october we've got two absolutely stellar creative teams doing something really cool uh where it's two um different stories uh maybe loosely in the same universe you can decide as a reader um told by two totally different creative teams in each issue. So it's 64 pages, every issue that comes out, you get a new chapter in both stories. It's like pulling up to a, you know, drive-in movie theater and getting to see your double feature. That's um, brilliant. Yeah. The, the one story, the cemeterians um, and the other story denizen uh, they're both absolutely terrifying. And by their, they're by the creative teams um, behind the plot and um, resonant and the autumnal. So pretty much an all-star lineup. Um, yeah. and, uh, that comes out right before Halloween. So Brilliant. there we go. I did three spooky things. Cause all I can think about is candy and baked goods <laughs> and scary shit. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Bring it on. I, I, I live for Halloween. It's, it's, mm. it's, you know, I have it drummed into my kids now as well. I was like, ah, fuck Christmas, Halloween. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> good. Yes. <laughs> raising them right yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah you know then you know it's it's big here obviously always yeah. has been you know um but yeah you guys nobody does it like you guys mm. yeah. like, thanks it's phenomenal you know like i used to you know when i'd go to uh um new york comic con back when it was in like before it was in october when it was in like february and you'd find a halloween store in new york you know yeah February, you know, I was like, yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> phenomenal. But that's great, man. Yeah, um, I, I, one hundred percent agree with all of those things you're looking forward to. I'm going to check out that book too. Clown, clown in the cornfield. Yeah, clown in the cornfield. Uh, Adam Cesare, C E S A R E. I can spell it even if I don't know how to pronounce it properly. Um, it's a page turner. It's so much fun. It's it's a it's a blast, and I really am and just enamored with this moment that we're getting where slashers have come back to life in novel format after being you know birthed in film mm -hmm. uh and running through the you know late 70s into 80s and 90s and then kind of the death of the slasher it's really cool to see this amazing resurgence of the genre in an entirely new format and novels. There are so many of them that are a blast and that one stands out as uh, just like a delight. It's like watching the best eighties camp horror that just elevated to like that, you know, sort of cult classic status cool. that you'll watch again a million times. Every year, so, yeah. The annual rewatch yeah, and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Highly recommend it. Awesome. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely check it out. Okay. So, look, guys, thanks for yeah. joining us on the Odds Pod.
That was a yeah. Thanks for having us. us. It was really quite fun actually to do a podcast where we're just talking about interesting things instead of you know being asked really nitty gritty questions about the publishing business. Yeah, but before we go, no, I won't do that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's that's awesome. I mean, that's the whole that's the whole point of the show. We just we just want to have interesting conversations with with cool people, you know. So yeah, we've definitely uh, definitely lived up to the uh, the mission statement of the show today. Anyway, oh, hundred percent. And what what a happy one to leave on. There was no. Oh, okay. So no one's going to survive this. Let's uh, let's take a deep breath and um, watch something happy and come back later. This was very much a feel good show. This was great. <laughs> Just before I'm not on. known for my feel good sensibilities, so I'm happy to observe. <laughs> I don't know. There's, there's, a, there's an alchemist in there. Uh, Absolutely. Before before we before we go, um, anything you want to plug in terms of cons or um, where people can can get in touch with you or just check out, check out your stuff. Well, I don't know when this will go live, but we'll be at Rose City uh, this coming weekend in in you know Portland, the sort of uh, unlikely capital of American comics, and then it will will be at New York, you know, in October, so, and then. A uh, big one I want to plug is that uh, Wasted Space, which I talked about, um, you know, as an inflection point for Vault. Mm-hmm. It, we're launching our very first uh, Kickstarter because we've never done a 672-page hardcover oversized omnibus before. We're still young enough as a publisher that we don't really know if the market or audience is there for it. So we're hoping that it is because we want to we want to do a bunch of them. We've got a bunch of series that we want to collect in these big omnibuses. So we're doing the wasted space cosmic collection. Um, it'll be our biggest book to date and the Kickstarter goes live very, very soon. So, uh, and it will run all the way through into like New York comic con. So, uh, yeah, that People one, I want to plug updates about that on, on your Twitters, on vaults, Twitter, every, yeah, yeah. every oh, one of our socials, it'll be really hard to miss. Um, but yeah, let's uh, fingers crossed that that it goes really well because then that means the future will hold a lot of vault gigantic hardcovers. Excellent, excellent. Just what our shelves need. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. <laughs> Collapse under the weight of vault. <laughs> okay, guys, on on that, on that happy note, I think we'll leave it there. Thanks a lot. Thanks a million. Guys. Thanks to both of you. Awesome. Be well. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on The Odds Pod. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Look out for The Odds coming soon from Scout Comics. And please tell us what your favorite apocalypse is. You can find me on Twitter at Benessy. That's B-E-N-N-E-S-S-Y. And me on at Dave Hendrick. Big thanks to our producer, Adrian Carty. And we'll see you at the end of the world. <laughs>